And welcome to the Insurance and Injury Law Show. The number anytime, 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Savannah Tamarkin here. Going to answer your questions for the next hour. And we'll get to some emails as well. Let's talk first. Uh, the week that was, we usually do a couple of cases, right? Yeah, we do a couple of cases. John, uh, welcome everyone. This is going to be an interesting show. And I'm going to start off by saying that uh, not all the calls that I get and emails come from uh, from people who've been injured. Uh, sometimes they come from people who are in the actual profession. So let me tell you about this one uh, individual, the special man that, uh, that emailed me, and he's a director of a, a clinic called Simply Align Rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm going to give it his number afterwards because I, I went to coffee with him. He basically contacted me and said, you know, uh, the, the, the way that I treat people uh, in my clinic after an accident uh, and, and w- the stories that I've heard uh, other people tell me about other clinics really mirrors the kind of things that you've been talking about in terms of a lot of clinics being out there just for the money. Uh, they don't really care about the treatments of patients, making people better. It's just, you know, all dollars and cents. So I said, okay, let's, uh, let's go and have uh, coffee together. So we met up. And, uh, and then he invited me to his clinic. He knows that I have some aches and pains uh, in, in my neck. And, and John, I'm not referring to my wife here, okay, <laughs> in case me. she's listening, right. or you. Uh, no, I, 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 you know, I work out. I, I do a lot of weights. And so occasionally yep. I have these aches and pains. And so he said, you know, come to my clinic. Let me show you around. Let me uh, perhaps treat you. And then you can, uh, you can tell me how you're feeling. And yep. then we can have a discussion. So that's what I did. And I did that last week. I came to his clinic in Scarborough. Uh, and uh, first of all, he showed me uh, around the clinic, uh, which was very nice. Uh, the various equipment that he uses, the way he diagnoses uh, uh, the injuries and, and the issues that I had. Uh, and, and, you know, he explained to me how uh, it's often done in the profession, how it's done uh, oftentimes inaccurately, how people don't necessarily use uh, state-of-the-art equipment to, to, to just figure out what's wrong with you, let alone right. treat you. So long story short, uh, he treated me. He, I, we went through, uh, through a whole bunch of uh, treatments for about an hour, an hour and a half uh, through various explanations. Uh, I, I had an x-ray done. Mm-hmm. You know, we discussed it. I, I really, I was very impressed with his level of professionalism. And, and now, John, he's, he's a chiropractor. He's a physiotherapist. Uh, he does a lot of things. And, and uh, I what I'm going to tell you is, is, is this. It's so important. It's so vitally important for people after an accident to make sure that they get proper treatment, that they get diagnosed correctly. Yeah. And I'm going to touch on a case uh, of a lady that had called me uh, after listening uh, to the radio show, and I've been dealing with her case, and I'll tell you why it's so important to get diagnosed correctly. Uh, so for the listeners out there, if you are in the uh, Scarborough area or if you want to go to someone who, uh, at least my experience, was very, very positive, uh, you can contact Dr. Uh, Pardisnia, Dr. Pardisnia of Simply Align Rehab, and his number is 416-438-3230. Again, 416-438-3230, Simply Align Rehab. Uh, like I said, I had a great experience. Uh, so, so, so let me let me move on and let me tell you about um, this one case um, that I was just referring to. So, this is a very nice lady that had called me uh, after listening to the show a long time ago. She was injured in a slip and fall in a hotel in Kingston. Mm-hmm. She suffered a shoulder injury. The shoulder really, really bothered her, interfered with her work. In fact, she just had to resign because of her injury. Now, I told her to go to the family doctor and, and get, uh, you know, get this checked out. I mean, she's been going to the doctor, but no MRI has been uh, scheduled. N- nothing has been scheduled to really diagnose the injury in the shoulder. And, of course, I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. Right. But 
I've done enough of these cases and helped enough people who are injured to, to suspect that perhaps she had a tear in her shoulder. Uh, so I said, listen, talk to your doctor, maybe get a referral to a specialist, get an MRI done, figure out what's going on. I mean, that's going to dictate potentially the treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, for whatever reason, the family doctor just refused to send her to an MRI. Now, I, I've had this debate uh, with uh, with my brother even, who's going through medical school, who says, you know, MRIs are, are not needed unless you're actually going to follow through with whatever treatments okay. are going to be recommended, like a surgery. Uh, but, but that's not the point. The point here with this lady is that she was in agony. She doesn't know what to do. Uh, and she just, you know, not being helped. And, and all she knows is that her shoulder hurts. And, and that's it. So... Uh, I told her, listen, get a referral to perhaps a chronic pain specialist. Yeah. So she did. She went to a chronic pain specialist who then referred her to an MRI. And guess what, John? We just got the results uh, last week. It's a tear. It's a tear in the shoulder. She's now being referred to an orthopedic surgeon, okay, for a consultation. Potentially, this orthopedic surgeon is going to tell her you have to go through surgery right. or perhaps uh, there is a, a non-operative treatments that we can try. But the point is that now she knows what the diagnosis is. Now she knows how to deal with it. And from a legal case standpoint, that changes now the character of the case because now we're not dealing with simply a chronic pain that has no objective or physical basis to it. Now we're dealing with an actual tear that has been seen and diagnosed on an MRI. Very, very important Uh, And for listeners out there, if you're in that situation, don't simply assume that if your family doctor doesn't want to send you to certain examinations and your lawyer is not doing anything about it, that there are no options out there. Make sure you do the investigation, push forward, make sure that, uh, you know, you you take care of your own body, because if you don't, no one will for you. So that's that's a good lesson for people out there. So now it has a dollar value attached to it more so, The dollar value is significant, absolutely. And if you go to, I'm going to talk about the injury calculator, if you go to that uh, website, you know, you can actually punch in shoulder tear and figure out you know, what happens when there's surgery, when there isn't, how much dollars you can potentially be mm-hmm. uh, uh, expecting to get for compensation. Again, assuming somebody was responsible for the accident. For this lady, yes, that hotel where she slipped and fell, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. The claim is already in process. Beautiful. It's just really, really important that now we know the exact nature of her injury because now we can define it. And from a legal standpoint, that, that sets half the battle, really. We'll take a quick break, get to more of those, and talk about that injury calculator, 416-216-5910. And for emails, we'll get to a bunch of those this hour as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number to get hold of Savan anytime, 416-216-5910. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Before we get to the injury calculator, give you details on that. Got one more case you were talking about, right? Yeah, this is really, really interesting. Uh, Nothing amazing amazing here about this case. It's just interesting that it's a person who's been listening to me regularly. Uh, and then last week I get a, a frantic phone call. It wasn't really frantic, but it was, you know, a, a phone call, uh, a, a voicemail left for me mm-hmm. that uh, you could hear was urgent. So I called the gentleman back and says, you know, he says, I'm, I listen to you uh, every, every Sunday and I was just in an accident this morning. Uh, I, I, what do I do? What do I do? And wow, I said, I said Here, exactly. And, and I said, here's what you need to do. First of all, I asked him a few questions. Are you injured? Uh, it, was somebody else injured? What exactly happened? Did you get the information of the other driver? Right. And, and, you know, he answered all the questions. And I said, here's what you need to do uh, in, in these situations. If someone is injured, you call 911. Now, depending on the severity of the injury and how busy the police is, especially now that we're getting into winter, you're not always going to have uh, police arriving on the scene. Uh, potentially, there's going to be major delays. Uh, so you have to make sure that if you suspect that you've been injured or someone in your car has been injured, make sure you guys get checked out. 
Very, very important. I can't stress that enough. Mm. I've seen so many cases with people who uh, are in absolute shock after an accident. Of course, they go home uh, only the next day to feel like, you know, they, they, they had a ton of bricks fall on them. I mean, they, they don't know what to do. They can't even get out of bed. So it's very important. You never know necessarily what kind of damage was done to you, whether it's a rear end collision or a side swipe. You could have injured your body in a way that your adrenaline that's flowing through you right now. You can't feel it, right? You can't feel it. You can't feel it. You have no idea what's going on. So get checked out. Very important. That's number one. Uh, Number two, if the police did not come to the scene, you're going to want to report the, uh, you need to report the accident to a uh, a, um, collision reporting center. There's a few of them around the GTA. Just Google that. uh, Collision reporting center, Toronto. And, uh, you know, make sure you go there or someone goes there on your behalf. It's just, you know, the accident gets registered. Uh, and bring a coffee and something to read. <laughs> well, especially <laughs> if it's uh, yeah, it's a snowy day like you we're going to have uh, this winter. Absolutely, but very important that there is a record of the accident, especially if the police officers did not come to the scene of the accident. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's always very important as well as as a th- the, the third item here to notify your insurance company as soon as you can. Okay, the insurance company, the adjusters, they're going to ask you, uh, of course, what happened. Do you have the information of the other drivers? They're going to ask you a very important question: Are you injured? Now, if they ask you, are you injured, which they will, unless you know for sure that you have not been injured, you do not say that you have not been injured because Mm -hmm. that's going to get recorded. Okay, so maybe you have all this adrenaline flowing through you and you think, okay, no, I haven't been injured. I'm just shocked. Okay, no, take a breath and and wait for it because you're going to feel a lot of neck pain and back pain. Now, if you're not injured and you know you're not injured, you know, it's a fender bender or whatever, make sure you say, I'm not injured. They may ask you, was there anybody in the car that was injured? So they're going to go through a series of these kinds of questions. Oftentimes, I tell people that after an accident, if you think that the collision was severe enough to cause an injury, you know, rationally, but you're not feeling anything, don't say you're not injured. Just say, right now, I'm not feeling anything. You know, I'm really in shock. And that's fine. That's going to get recorded like that. And of course, go and get checked out. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have uh, you're going to be dealing with two different adjusters after a car accident. You're going to be dealing with a property damage adjuster. Someone's going to deal with the car, right? Either your car can be fixed or it's going to be a write-off. Right. Uh, and you're going to be potentially dealing with a bodily injury adjuster. Okay, these are two separate adjusters, both from your insurance company. Two different divisions, two different parts okay. of the company. Okay. Gotcha. Make sure that uh, you are aware of that. Make sure that you speak to both of these adjusters. And, uh, you know, the last thing I will tell you is do what this gentleman did. If you have questions, give me a call. I called him back within three minutes of him leaving the voicemail and I wasn't even in the office, John. You know why? Hmm. Because when people uh, leave messages for us in the office, the way our system is configured, we get those voicemails uh, emailed to us. Right. So, so we can load them up immediately on our phones uh, as, as emails. So, so again, very interesting case in that the person was in an accident that morning and got a hold of me literally within about three minutes, and I was able to walk him through what he needs to do. We touched this, uh, touched on this rather in the first segment, and that is InjuryCalculator.ca. Give me some details. Okay, so InjuryCalculator.ca, very interesting tool, uh, gaining momentum in terms of its usage, uh, and uh, a lot of lawyers are not really happy with it, lawyers in my field, because here's the general experience of what happens. And I was just speaking with a lady this week, uh, who, after a slip and fall, broke her foot. When I spoke with a few lawyers, very, very nice lady, uh, and and you know, we 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 chatted about the process and what happens. And of course, invariably, the person asks, "Well, okay, what can I expect to get if I start a claim for compensation?" And the other law firm that she had met with 
said, uh, understandably so. Listen, we can't we can't tell you right now what the dollar value is going to be. They don't want to commit. Yep. They, they, you know, they don't want to have uh, egg on their face at the end if something doesn't uh, uh, come out. But, but but here's the thing: people are reasonable for the most part. They're not asking you to tell them that they're going to get a million bucks for a broken finger. Uh, I mean, unless you are, uh, I don't know, the guitarist from Metallica, maybe that's right. the case. But yeah. generally speaking, people are reasonable. They just want to understand what what is the range of damages that they're looking at. Is it worthwhile to go through the process? Why should I trust you? Right. You know, are you going to put me through a process that takes a year or two potentially uh, to get uh, 500 bucks at the end? You know? So understandably, lawyers don't want to commit. And I, I completely understand that. But But here's the thing. Every case is individual. Every case is specific on its facts. Perhaps my injury and your injury are the same, but it affects me differently than it affects yours. So perhaps our income calculations in terms of if we lose income are going to be different. But what we do know is we know that certain injuries have ranges of damages. Now, what does that mean? It means that if you were to go and start a claim for a broken knee... Uh, then there's going to be a range of damages that that uh, you will be awarded at the end or you can settle for. For pain and suffering. For the pain and suffering, okay. exactly. That component itself, the pain and suffering. And what we've done is with this injury calculator uh, device uh, or, or tool, online tool, is, is that we've had a team uh, go back and uh, examine a whole bunch of cases, right. uh, hundreds if not thousands of cases across the whole country to see what courts have traditionally awarded for pain and suffering for certain injuries. For a broken foot, broken mm-hmm. finger, uh, you know, for paralysis, for aches and pains of the back, all that kind of stuff. So if you were to go to injurycalculator.ca, all it's going to ask you is a few pieces of information. By the way, it's fully anonymous. Right. It's free. takes you about three, four minutes to do, if not less. Less, yeah. Uh, and you put in, you know, when was the accident, what kind of accident it was, what part of your body did you injure? Uh, it's going to ask you a few of these questions. No name, no number, nothing. Just put in this basic information. And what the calculator is going to do, it's going to give you at the end a range of pain and suffering dollar amount that you could potentially be entitled to if, in fact, somebody was responsible for your injuries and if you started a claim. So it answers that basic question that most people want to know, which is, is it even worthwhile? What am I looking at? And and I'm telling you, this is, and and even when I meet with people and they click, you know, uh, submit for a full consultation and then they they end up chatting with me on the phone, I, I tell them, look, this is a range uh, that, that is, is based on a whole bunch of cases that we've looked at across the country. It could be very different for you in terms of the other damages you may be entitled to. Okay. So, so you may be entitled to, let's say, $40,000 uh, for your pain and suffering, uh, for, for your broken knee, but maybe now, John, you can't work. You were earning $50,000 a year, uh, and you were supposed to retire in, in, in uh, I don't know, 10 years. That's, that's easily $500,000, right? Different well, number. First, yeah. It's a different number altogether, but okay. that's aside from the pain and suffering component of your claim. Injurycalculator.ca, very simple. Use it online. It takes a couple minutes and uh, have a go at it now. Even if you're not injured, check it out and try it for yourself. We'll uh, take a short break here. The number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get into an email as soon as we come back in the Insurance Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640, the number to get a hold to Savannah anytime, even when he's not on air, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email which I will pull from right now. My friend got this from uh, Leonard a little earlier on this morning. says, I've been listening to your show and love the information you give. Quick question. I heard that in Toronto when you start a claim, there is something called mandatory mediation. What is it and is it true? Leonard, that's an excellent question. Uh, and, and it's something most people don't know about. 
years ago uh, because of the amounts of claims that were started just across the province, let alone the country. Uh, they, they, they had a uh, pilot project uh, that started, uh, I believe, in Toronto and Nowadays, we have in Toronto and Ottawa and Windsor. Those are the three jurisdictions. And it's called mandatory mediation. What does that mean? It means that when you start a claim, uh, let's say for personal injury, for uh, for a car accident, sure. uh, you'll go through the process. At some point, uh, it's mandated under the rules of civil procedure that we, uh, you know, our Bible as lawyers, to get all the parties together. And by the parties, it doesn't mean the people who caused the accident. It means people from their insurance company, so adjusters. So the adjusters, their lawyers... Uh, myself, uh, my client, we all go into a room and we all have a discussion. And, and the discussion is not really to point fingers, it's to see if we can resolve the claim. Now, now here's the thing. We walk into that room, there are pleasantries that are exchanged, we mm-hmm. shake hands, uh, I say a few words about my client's case, uh, the other lawyers will say a few, th- uh, a few words from their perspective, and then we break out into separate rooms. And so for the remainder of this mandatory mediation, which we all had to attend, you're not really seeing the other side. You have okay. this neutral third-party mediator that the parties have uh, usually selected uh, or, or that's been appointed. Uh, that person shuttles back and forth between the various uh, offices to see if he or she can negotiate a compromise, a resolution. And the reason why mandatory mediations are so effective is because it forces everyone to come together. All the decision makers are essentially in the same building. And it's been extremely successful. Uh, One of the things that uh, my partner and I, in fact, lawyers in my firm and I, uh, haven't been able to figure out is why is it that they don't have mandatory mediation across the whole province? Right. Why is it not in Brampton and, and you know in Newmarket and Barrie everywhere? Uh, we don't know. But what we do know, and statistics bear this out, that especially in the personal injury context, employment as well, by the way, yep. uh, I hear that from our employment lawyers, mandatory mediations is where, generally speaking, these cases resolve. They settle which means that the case comes to an end, you get the money you're owed for your compensation. So you're a fan and, of it. And I'm a huge fan of it. Okay. Uh, and, and oftentimes you have insurance companies who are, you know, they're, they're, they don't want to attend the mediation. You know, they're taking a hardline position. But when they come that day, uh, when the adjusters arrive with their lawyers, mm-hmm. magic happens. Why does it happen? Because, again, we spoke about this before. Insurance companies understand that every step of the process costs them money. They have to pay their own lawyers. Uh, they have to go through the process. By the way, there's another thing that happens, and it's happened to me quite a few times. Keep in mind that when you start a claim for compensation, uh, the my client does not necessarily know uh, or hasn't spoken to the adjuster for the insurance company of the person who caused the accident, right? So that adjuster hasn't seen my client, hasn't spoken to my client, hasn't seen how my client comes across. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, believe it or not, during the mediation process, minds change, and because there was that meeting and perhaps there's a discussion and a clarification of some of the facts and the impact on my client's life, uh, the insurance company, the adjuster takes a different position okay. and, and the mediation takes a turn. And oftentimes you resolve claims through mediation. Uh, and and that's the reason I'm such a fan of it. So, so Leonard, mandatory mediation, it's a fantastic tool. It should be made mandatory across all jurisdictions in Ontario. Uh, hopefully it will get there at some point, uh, but that's what it is. It's, it's essentially a mandatory meeting of all the parties to try and resolve these claims. Why can't you, uh, you said you break off into two rooms. Maybe a silly question. Why can't you just all sit and do it in one room? Because you met that way, right? I, I think that uh, often, okay, well, first of all, let me say that uh, you have different kinds of mediations. And in some mediations, you don't even start off in the same room. Hmm. Uh, but but you know, generally speaking, in, in the personal injury context, you do. And the reason why you break apart is because 
first of all, the individual who's injured, oftentimes they don't want to be in the same room for a long period of time, as you can imagine, with the insurance company for the other driver right. or whoever caused the accident. Uh, but, but you know, even more so, there is a certain dynamic that happens when the mediator comes to our room, speaks with us, with me and my client, perhaps asks some questions for clarification, uh, takes our numbers to the other right. room, okay. and then speaks with them. So there is that kind of, uh, of, of a dynamic that happens that's very conducive to resolution. Okay. And by the way, oftentimes the mediator, depending on who or she is, uh, we'll, we'll bring, uh, you know, the lawyers and the clients together to just have a, a discussion, you know, everyone together. And okay. not, not to sing kumbaya, but, right. you know, to perhaps clarify a few facts uh, that are just standing in the way of, of movement uh, towards resolution. Let's talk about surveillance after a short break. Love this topic. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. 416-216-5910. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's talk about this. I know people love it. Surveillance. Uh, I'll ask you this. So people who have had personal injury claims or disability claims, they often ask you about surveillance. And are insurance companies, uh, they allowed to hire private investigators? Yep, they are. <laughs> they are. But let me put a caveat there because there's a lot of misinformation and people who think that insurance companies uh, simply hire surveillance uh, or private investigators willy-nilly you know, and, and put them on you. That's not how it happens. Uh, insurance companies are very cognizant of their costs. Keep in mind, hmm. their goal, their objective is to save costs. Uh, by paying you less, by denying a claim, by putting surveillance on you if they suspect that something is, you know, doesn't make sense, something's not kosher, exactly. Uh, And and frankly, as a defense lawyer in the past, I've ordered surveillance on instructions from my client. So here's the way that it works. First of all, yes, they're allowed to hire uh, private investigators. Uh, They generally do it when they are questioning uh, your claim, when they think that something doesn't, doesn't sound right. Sometimes they do it in the hopes of perhaps getting something, even if they think that the claim is legitimate, perhaps they're thinking that you are making it out to be a bit more than what it really is. Uh, So they are allowed to hire them, but there are some limitations. We'll talk about those in a sec, Uh, but they are allowed to do that. They don't do it as often as people think. And the reason is because it is expensive. I mean, I remember when uh, I engaged uh, private investigators and firms, it could easily cost a thousand or two thousand dollars a day. Wow! So you know you're not going to have a situation, at least not that I've come across, where you have a private investigator following a person for a month. Can you imagine the bill that the insurance company is going to mm-hmm. get? I mean, that lawyer is going to get fired for, for for having arranged for that surveillance. No, generally they uh, they'll have somebody uh, doing uh, surveillance on you for a day, two days, three days, four days, five days. Let's say as a max. Perhaps they'll do it in, in uh, you know, during this long weekend. Perhaps they'll do it in the summer just to see if they can get something. And oftentimes, John, they come up empty. It doesn't show any. And oftentimes they come up with something, but so what? We can explain it away. It's not a big deal. So what are the key factors that tip them off to want to start an investigation on somebody? Yeah, that's, uh, it's very, very case specific. But, you know, I'll tell you, if, if, uh, if a person, for example, uh, says, look, I was in this accident two years ago and uh, I injured my back, you know, I have aches and pains, mm-hmm. but, you know, there are no fractures, there are no tears. And this person says, you know, I used to work, uh, I don't know, at Tim Hortons full time, and now I can't do anything. L- used to love those claims. And I'm going to rant here for a bit, John, because this is a pet peeve of mine, and it's something that my defense lawyer friends and I actually see eye to eye on. Uh, unless you are paralyzed or unless you have some really severe psychological chronic pain type mm-hmm. issues, you should be able to do something. 
And a lot of lawyers out there, we spoke about that before, tell their clients after even a minor fender bender, don't go to work, stay at home. Trust me, it's going to help your case. Well, listen to me. Trust me. It's not going to help your case, okay? If you don't have a diagnosable injury, an objective injury, like a, like a fracture to your vertebrae or something huge, you're going to have more of a tough time proving that you really can't do any work. Now, before I get crucified by some people out there, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, you can only say that you can't work if you have a break in your spine or if you suffer a brain injury. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that naturally... Uh, you and I, John, and everyone out there, if we are presented with an individual in front of us who says they cannot work, and let's say that's per- let's say that person is 40 years old. Mm-hmm. They say, I had a car accident last year. Since then, I haven't been able to do anything. And I mean anything, not cut the grass, haven't been able to go anywhere. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're looking at a medical document, you're seeing that they've gone to their family doctor maybe once or twice in the past year. They haven't been referred to any specialists. You know, you're thinking something is weird here. Something is suspect. Either this person is getting the wrong advice from whoever is representing them, or they think that there's going to be a big fat check at the end of the day if they simply show that they can't do any work by not working. I can guarantee you in that case, the insurance company, rightly so, is going to put surveillance on this person. And, uh, you know, more often than not in these kinds of cases, and again, this is an extreme case, but in more, more often than not, the insurance company is going to find something. Mm-hmm. They're going to show this person who has gone fishing or they're going to show him going to the Blue Jays game, having a grand old time. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the next day, the person is going to tell you uh, through their lawyer that uh, they just they can't get out of bed. They're depressed. So, again, you know, there are certain warning signs and, and red flags. And when I speak with my clients, one thing I emphasize all the time and every good personal injury lawyer will say that to their clients. Be truthful. Don't exaggerate. It's going to come and bite you in the butt. I'm telling you. I mean, defense lawyers are not dumb. Uh, lots of my friends, some of the stories I hear from them now, that uh, cases they're dealing with, it's just ridiculous to me that people think they can get away with certain things. So be truthful. No one is saying that you should go and kill yourself. Nobody's saying that if you really are injured, if you really have that pain in your back or your neck or you are depressed that you should make yourself worse by pushing through work. No one is saying that. But for God's sakes, make sure that what you're doing is reasonable. That's that's the issue here. So surveillance, yes. When insurance company sees somebody that uh, seems fairly young, relatively, uh, somebody who uh, perhaps has a spotty work history, uh, you know, when, when all the signs are there that you think maybe they're trying to milk the system, they'll order surveillance. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the right time to order surveillance. We'll talk about what that surveillance entails when it's been called for after a short break. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get some emails a little later on as well. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number you want to call Savannah outside of show hours as well, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We're talking about surveillance and insurance companies calling for surveillance and getting uh, you know private investigators on the job. So uh, you're a private investigator or you've called one as a defense lawyer for the insurance company. What kind of stuff are they going to do? So that depends a, a lot on the company that you're hiring to do the surveillance. Typically, what we see is uh, we, we see videos. Uh, so they'll follow the person around with a video camera. Uh, keep in mind, they can't make contact with you, okay? They can't approach you. And there's been case law where law firms and investigators have been chastised by making contact with the subject uh, that they are surveying. 
And uh, what, what they'll do as well is nowadays with social media, they'll go online. Not just them, the lawyers too. They'll pull up uh, your Facebook profile, perhaps uh, Facebook profiles of people close to you, uh, LinkedIn, you know, a whole variety of things. They will try and feel around and figure out uh, if, if there are any uh, avenues of getting this information uh, about you. They're not going to do anything illegal. They're not allowed to do anything illegal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they will follow you with a video camera. Uh, perhaps if you're going to the mall, if you're going to the gym, they will go, uh, you know, those places. They're not going to go into the uh, change room with you. Uh, but certainly I've seen surveillance where, uh, you know, they're showing the individual working out. And <laughs> I've seen one uh, particular case where the person said that they can't work, talking about our last uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm telling you, John, the kind of uh, weights he was lifting up, uh, I-, I was jealous. I was, And I've been doing this for a long time. So... You know, they will do that. And, and some of the surveillance is very, very damaging. But that's what they're going to do. They have certain limitations, uh, f- a framework within which they work. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, what we see are videos. And those videos can be very damning. Should people be generally concerned about private investigators being hired? Only if you are lying. Right. If you are lying, you should be. It's that simple. Uh, and it's, it's a good question because I, I get asked that a lot by, by my own clients. Should we be concerned? And I say to them, no, you shouldn't. If you, are, if you are telling me the truth, if I'm presenting to the other side uh, that uh, you know, you're not paralyzed from the neck down, that you can do X, Y, and Z, there's nothing wrong with you taking a walk with your wife. There's nothing wrong with you uh, perhaps going to the gym and trying to do some rehab, which generally is something that's prescribed by your doctor or your physiotherapist or whoever's treating you. Nothing wrong with that. So if you are telling the truth, if you're not taking the position that uh, you can't do anything, that's where people get in trouble, by the way, when they say they can't do anything, not just work, but even housework, right? I've had cases, um, even with my own clients, where they've said that they can't do any housework whatsoever, and yet uh, surveillance uh, captured them uh, um, clearing snow. You know, I don't care what their excuse is. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. that doesn't look good, right? I have to explain that away. I have to say, look, I mean, there was no choice. Uh, the person who was supposed to come in clear the snow wasn't there. You know, they had an emergency. Something happened. You know, you, 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 your, your private investigator did, didn't show the next day when my client was on the couch the whole day uh, popping Percocets like they were candy. But again, you, you want to be very careful because surveillance can undermine your credibility. It can undermine the credibility of your case. And uh, it, it can diminish significantly the strength of your case. So being prepared properly by the lawyer is very, very important. Diminish is one thing, but can it get your case if it's severe enough thrown out altogether? Like Uh, the guy lifting weights? So it's not going to get thrown out. It's going to cause, if if the lawyer representing the individual knows what he or she is doing, uh, I mean, if that was my client, my client says they cannot do any work whatsoever, and there's surveillance showing them lifting more weights than I can lift, John, my conversation with my client will be, you got to find someone else or you got to instruct me to stop, to, to, to stop the claim. And I can be very creative with explaining surveillance away. I mean, I, I'll do everything in my power to minimize the impact on my client's case. But sometimes it's clear that the person was lying. Yeah. And there's no excuse for that. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We've got a couple minutes here, so we'll take an email before we break. Boris uh, from Thornhill says, I've heard you talk about long-term disability a lot. My wife was on short-term earlier this year because of a uh, degenerative condition when short-term disability ended and she tried to apply for long-term. The insurance company said that she doesn't qualify. She can't work and her doctor wrote several letters to the insurance company. I thought that once the insurer makes a decision to deny, it's no use trying to change their minds. Are you saying we can do something about it? Yes, Boris, that's exactly what I'm saying, and I've been saying that for a long time now. When an insurance company, a disability company, um, 
denies a claim, there is absolutely something you can do about it. In fact, uh, for you and your wife to walk away from doing something about her claim when clearly her family doctor, it's a family doctor, I think you said, mm-hmm. uh, uh, supports her disability and the fact that she can't go back to work, at least at this time, would be a crime. It would, be, it, would be, it would effectively be giving the insurance company a gift, a gift of money, money that's owed to you, to your family, uh, to your wife. There is no reason to do that. If you are denied long-term disability and the basis doesn't make sense to you, in other words, they're saying something like um, there is insufficient medical documentation to support your claim or we don't buy right. the fact that you can't go back to work or our own doctor that we sent you to says you should be able to go to work. Any of these kinds of excuses, and I call these excuses, for God's sakes, don't give up. Give me a call. Give me a call. We'll have a discussion. And I've had situations, John, where I've spoken with people. I've gotten the information. I've reviewed the medical documentation. And not only could I not understand the insurance company's position for denial, it was clear to me that it was done in completely bad faith. It was clear to me that if this thing ever went all the way, and by all the way, I mean court, which almost none of these cases ever get to. You don't see the light of day in court. Uh, They usually resolve way before it even gets there. Uh, I can I can tell you, judges would would award punitive damages yeah. against some of these insurance companies because sometimes they just do these things. They they cut people off. They deny these types of legitimate claims unilaterally. Uh, they, there is no real reason for why they are doing it except for that they want to save money. That there is a certain quota that they have to fill. Four one six two one six fifty nine ten and help at the insurance lawyer dot say more of the insurance and injury law show coming right up on Talk Radio AM six forty. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. That is Savan's number. You know, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one more email here before we close uh, for this hour. First, I want to talk a little bit about undetected brain injuries. And you've talked about this uh, numerous times over the last year. Um, you spoke that they can be serious but often go undetected. It's a brain injury, right? Give us right. an example of a really, really important one that people should be aware of. Right. I mean, so keep in mind that uh, having a brain injury or sustaining a brain injury doesn't mean that your skull has to be fractured. Right. Oftentimes, you have what's called a mild brain injury, which, you know, they can cause significant emotional, physical, and cognitive impairments, you know, problems uh, with with your operations. You have memory loss, you have lack of concentration, etc. We see this a lot with car accidents. Uh, And, uh, you know, you could have depression because of it. You can have a concussion uh, as a diagnosis, post-concussion symptoms. Uh, You know, of course, that's going to affect your employment. It's going to cause you and your family a lot of stress, etc., Uh, Now, the problem is that oftentimes they go undetected uh, because the inability of conventional imaging tests to identify them. Let me give you a statistic here. Uh, It's estimated that 50,000 Canadians sustain brain injuries uh, each year, and an estimated 75% of these uh, brain injuries are classified as mild traumatic brain injuries. And, And the thing to remember is that a mild traumatic brain injury sounds like it's mild, right? Sounds like it's... uh. Not that serious. A bump and a scratch. But for God's sakes, it's an in, it's a brain injury. Yeah. Okay, it affects the person's ability to function. It's that simple. Uh, so, so very, very important that if you're uh, having certain symptoms, and we'll talk about those symptoms uh, shortly, uh, that you get it checked out. You get a referral out uh, to to the proper um, uh, places where they do these kinds of examinations. Sunnybrook, for example, has a mm-hmm. brain injury clinic. Very important that you have the right people examining you, people who know the field. And and uh, you know if you don't, it's going to delay treatment. It's good. It's going to delay your ability to get back on the horse. Right. It's going to delay potentially a legal claim uh, that 
once the brain injury is diagnosed, may alter completely the character of that claim. I've had that happen to some of my clients. So very, very important to make sure that if you suspect a brain injury for yourself, for a family member, for a friend, uh, that uh, you, you check it out. You make sure that it's checked out. Not to mention, you know, the years on when uh, when it comes to a rear tuckly head, look at half the NFL, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, man, and, and, and you know, years and, and later. It, frankly, most of the time, um, uh, especially with concussions, for example, they go away. The symptoms oh. are not necessarily, uh, they're not going to stay there long term. But oftentimes they do stay long term. And again, we're limited by the medical knowledge and, and the tools that we have to deal with these kinds of injuries. We can treat the symptoms, but from a diagnosis standpoint, it's not that simple to diagnose. Get to an email from Rachel in Ottawa. It says, I've been in a car accident about three years ago and got a lawyer to help me. I've had a really tough time getting a hold of him or anyone in his office. He called me last week to say that we are about to settle the case and that he wants me to come in Thursday of next week to talk. I'm really nervous, not sure what I should expect. I haven't heard from this guy. Okay, so this is, as you know, John, a pet peeve of mine, not being able to get a hold of a lawyer Hmm. or somebody at a law office. Uh, That should never happen, okay? Should never happen. In our office, for example, Rachel, somebody leaves a message for a lawyer, just like the gentleman that uh, I spoke about before, within three minutes got a, a, a call from me. It doesn't mean you should be getting a call back within three minutes, but not to be able to uh, to get a hold of, of the lawyers or the staff is just inexcusable, okay? Uh, now, uh, Rachel, if he's asking you to come in next Thursday to talk uh, because they're about to settle the case, it means that he probably had some settlement negotiations uh, with the insurance company or the other lawyer representing the insurance company for whoever caused the accident. What I think is going to happen is that person, uh, that lawyer is going to uh, uh, tell you the amount that he was able to negotiate. Uh, Hopefully, he will break it down for you. And this is very, very important. We spoke about that, I think, on the last show, John. Uh, People need to understand when they are settling a case, they have to know what they are settling for. They have to know how much money the lawyer is going to get, how much money they're going to get, how much are the taxes, how Mm -hmm. much are the disbursements. Everything has to be spelled out. This is not a situation where uh, you're simply signing off on something like this, especially if you're dealing with a large claim. And I've seen that happen. I've heard people call me, well, quite a few people since we started the show uh, last year, people calling me uh, after the settlement was done. Was this good? Not not only was it good, (laughs) not even understanding the breakdown of of their settlement. They have no idea why they got what they got, how it was arrived at. That's a big no-no. It should not happen. It's just, it's improper in my view. The lawyer should be keeping you updated. So, Rachel, here's my advice to you. You're going to go to that lawyer's office uh, next week, next Thursday. You make sure that you ask a lot of questions. You want to understand how the amounts, the figures were arrived at. You want to understand the breakdown. And uh, and, and you, you want to ask the lawyer for time to review it, to think about it, to perhaps, perhaps get a second opinion, uh, talk with your family members. Make sure that you are on board with that amount. Don't let that lawyer pressure you. That's another pet peeve of mine that I hear a lot of lawyers pressuring their clients to settle. And uh, and oftentimes, you know, that pressure is coming from the lawyer who wants to get paid. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's they want to get paid. It's, it's just that simple. I'm not saying that's always the reason why they're sure. forcing the settlement, uh, but you should not be forcing someone to sign on a settlement for personal injury. You should be explaining it to them, explaining the options, explaining what's going to happen if you don't resolve it at this time, what's the next step. Uh, and like, literally giving them the options, giving them your recommendation, and then giving them enough time to mull it over and to come back with a decision. It would have been nice to be, you know, kept in contact along the way to know how this number was arrived rather than the last minute. Well, that's right? that, that's my philosophy. And, you know, I, I, I often tell um, uh, colleagues of mine who do the exact thing that I do, uh, other personal injury lawyers, that, uh, you know, their lives would be a lot easier 
practically speaking, if they kept their clients updated about their case, if they explain them along the way what is going on, explain the strategy, explain what it is that they're doing to further their client's interests, and, and, and you know, when it comes down to go to a mediation or to talk settlement, if the client is updated every step of the way, be quick. it will be quick because yeah. you don't have to go back and explain from the beginning how everything was arrived at. Yeah. So and not to mention the fact that you're building credibility. The right. client trusts you, right? I mean, and that's very important, by the way. The client should trust their lawyer. Nothing worse. I can only imagine. I remember uh, before I became a lawyer, my uh, family was embroiled in several uh, uh, lawsuits, a wrongful dismissal one when my father was fired. And then my parents owned a restaurant uh, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was a family dispute. And uh, I just, I remember the lawyers that we went to. So this is, I, I was, ugh, I'm dating myself, but this is back in university days, undergrad. Sure. And I remember going to these lawyers' offices downtown. It was rainy. It was windy. And I'm going there with my mother uh, and my father. And, you know, we leave the lawyer's office and we're just, we have no idea what just happened. You know, we feel like we're going into war. Uh, All we're told, we're being goaded by the lawyer to just sign up and just go to war. And that's what it is. That's what it feels like. It doesn't have to be. There is no reason, no reason for somebody to feel like they are going to war. This is very structured. Uh, these kinds of claims are very routine. Uh, you know, if you're going for a hernia surgery, you want to, you know, the last thing you want to, you you, you want to feel or think is, is is that you know somebody's going to be operating on your brain. Yeah. You want to know it's a routine surgery. Of course, there are risks, but generally speaking, everything turns up all right. It's exactly the same thing with these kinds of cases. We'll wrap it for another week. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah or an email anytime is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. When you got some time, check out injurycalculator.ca as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM640.